Welcome to Movie Geek and Proud. This is Movie Club. Rule number one, always talk about Movie Club. Rule number two, tell your friends about Movie Club. Rule number three, have fun and don't be a hater. Rule number four, there will be spoilers. You've been warned. That lovely conversation you have after you and your movie buddies watch a film together, let's start that conversation. Hello, movie geeks. This is another episode of Movie Geek and Proud. This is the podcast where you are supposed to be proud of the taste in film. No matter if you like it or dislike it, be proud of it, stand by it. And here is episode 99. I'm going to review Candyman from 1992. And I have Nate here who is going to join me to share his thoughts on this Uh, horror icon, this amazing film by Clive Barker and Bernard Rose. Nate, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. We are actually just a year off of 30 years of Candyman. This was October 16th in 1992. Uh, It is a rated R film. This is one of the scariest movies that I've ever witnessed on the big screen it will forever be just implanted into my brain and will always live there. Even if I charge it rent, it is not there rent free. (laughs) This shit traumatized me when I was a kid and I will never forget the impact it had on me, but did it tear me away from horror movies? Absolutely not. And of course, as I get older and wiser, I'm able to understand the underlying message that it projected and therefore made me appreciate this movie even more. This is the spooky season, so it's time to finally review the original Candyman. This movie starred uh, Virginia Madsen, Xander Berkeley, and of course, playing Tony Todd, or playing Candyman is Tony Todd. And this is uh, from work from Clive Barker. This is based on a short so I don't want to say a short story, but it's it's like a, a story within an anthology mm-hmm. collection of books called The Books of Blood. And it's six horror fiction anthologies and it's original stories written by Clive Barker. Uh, this series went on from 1984 to 1985. And I believe The Forbidden is the name of the book that Candyman is based on. And it was in volume five for anybody who would like to read in comparison of this novel. I didn't read it, but I learned something today. I did not know it was part of a book series. In fact, I thought this was a completely original idea made for screen. Did you know about the book series? Yes, I did. Oh, did you happen to read it? The Forbidden. No, I didn't read it. Uh, But no, I, I did know it was from a book and I think it's, Based on something to do with uh, Guy Fawkes Day, which is like, I think that's the, uh, you know, like V for Vendetta guy. (laughs) Um, Fair, yes. Yeah, so it's, you know, in England, I don't know how they do things, but Guy Fawkes, that's that's a big, big thing over there. So I don't exactly know how it came to be, like where it started out being born from that, but then turning into Candyman and, and being set in Chicago and um, very, very kind of strange. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case 
anyone who has decided to listen to my show today has no idea what Candyman is. Huh. The Candyman is a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned, <laughs> accidentally my ass, to reality <laughs> by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. And again, directed by Bernard Rose, as well as written by, and of course, based on characters from Clive Barker. So how is this movie living in your head right now? Good, bad? Do you relive it? Is it just something that's just better to be kept in memory? Or do you go back to it often? I go back to it uh, pretty often. Maybe not every year, but I definitely rewatch it probably every other year i'd say if i can get my hands on it i used to own it on dvd but all my dvds are in storage in the state of indiana don't know if i'll ever have them again but no i I love the original candy man i think it still it still stands the test of time i know a lot of people are kind of jaded about different scares and whatnot but the story alone the story is sort of just a haunting and Tony Todd's portrayal. You know, there's, there's never going to be another slasher like him, I would say, because he's sort of a, for me, at least I, you know, I feel kind of bad for him. (laughs) I feel like very empathetic because he's so sad and like he draws you in and his voice. And it's like, yes, he's killing people and it's, it's graphic and it's terrible. But once you learn his origin story, I know Jason has a like sad beginning as well, but uh, I don't know. It just, it's not the same. It's funny that we come across villains like this, especially the horror icons that we know today. As I mentioned earlier, this is almost 30 years old and we still like him. We still Mm -hmm. want to see more of him. At least I do. But, you know, is it because we're sympathetic of his story or is it because he's a murderous being (laughs) that wants to, you know, just kill everyone in a bloody fashion? But at the same time, it's like, why are we drawn to a character like this? Well, and I think that's sort of the question for the victims as well. Um, It's like they they do run, but there's a, a hypnotic thing about him that he draws his victims in like a vampire sort of, um, you know, they, they can't help, but let their guard down versus all the other slashers. You're like running for your life immediately when they are on site. So it's, it's definitely a big part of it is Tony Todd's portrayal. And it's like Tony Todd, he has a long ass list of credits. He's, was working before Candyman. He's continued to work after in the genre, out of the genre. But um, it, I don't know. I can't imagine anybody else doing it, of course. You know, was, and, as you say, after watching the remake. But I mean, I mean I totally and the remake, saying. To, you know, it's a t- totally different thing. And it wasn't quite the same as, as him either. The, I mean, we'll get to that. But it was it's a very different portrayal. So it didn't detract from my memory of Tony Todd. And I, I wouldn't even say like, oh, I'm sitting there comparing the whole time. Like, oh, this person is terrible. I didn't feel like that at all. Um, but, you know, Tony Todd, it's like there's there's no other. <laughs> so it's not exactly a big secret that the both of us enjoy this movie and most likely still enjoy the original Candyman. But what would you say stands out to you, Nate, 
about why you like this movie so much? Is there a specific part in the movie? You did mention Tony Todd, but like what sticks out in this movie that that just when you when people ask you, why is this good? What do you think about right away that makes this so good? I think about the music. And exactly. Exactly. The music. It's such a shame that Philip Glass is not a fan of the movie. Uh, the composer, he once they made the movie, he he had some things to say. He was like, oh, this is a this is a slasher film. This is not what I thought I was you know, giving my music to. So he has some harsh feelings. Maybe he doesn't anymore, but he definitely did in the beginning. But I, I that music, that piano music, it's it, again, like I, I say haunting. I've said it so many times before whenever I talk about Candyman, but the whole film the story is haunting the portrayals of the characters, the, the shots um, of the city, the way that they use Chicago um, as a landscape, as, as a background. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's such a sad movie, (laughs) but it's, it's, I love it. It's, it's creepy and it's still, and I think, Again, you know, like we'll get deeper into it, but like the the reboot remake built off of the original, you know? So just that opening shot when it's like you're you're passing over the freeway and the music starts and it's like I don't know, almost like organ music and it's 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 um it's start it sets up that story of Chicago and how things were divided. And the story on this side of the freeway is not the same as the story on this side of the freeway, you know? So the white people over here in their little condos, they don't know anything about what's going on over here. And that's how we are introduced to our good friend, Virginia Madsen, because she doesn't know shit. <laughs> yeah. And that's I, how we get a plot. I will definitely agree with you. The music is a huge part to why I was so terrified back then watching it Mm -hmm. on that big screen and Philip Glass. I mean, I bow to you, even though you don't like it, like you did this movie such a justice by adding your score to it. Almost every part of the soundtrack is, is just so terrifying and it just adds such a huge layer on top of everything visual that we're seeing. I, I just want to talk about this opening for a second. When this when Virginia Manson Helen is interviewing this woman who's heard of this urban legend, right? So she's telling mm-hmm. the story about this girl who, you know, had a boy over while she was babysitting and then called his name five times. One thing I do want to point out, I love that in her story, she had to point out that she was dating a nice guy and then was cheating on him with the bad boy. You know how I feel about that shit. It's just funny how that <laughs> needed to be worked in that this nice guy is getting screwed. Yeah. But the the story that was being told, first of all, she's an amazing storyteller because I was in it <laughs> when she was telling this story. But the thing was, she mentions that this woman gets killed and then the boyfriend sees her body and then his hair turns white. And then she also mentioned that the baby was also killed too. Now, Mm -hmm. you know how urban legends get fabricated and they get sort of dramatized to fit their specific narrative. And by the origin, it just turns into this big thing that it really doesn't have to be. Do you think that he killed the baby? 
And that's so funny that you mentioned this now because I have never stopped to think about it. I yeah. just thought it was more of the urban legend. But now that we have like just mentioning like on this side of the freeway, it's one story on this side. It's not. So probably not. I don't he believe he killed it. the baby. I really don't. And yeah, why would he? I know that he's out there killing, you know, innocent people, including, you know, Bernie, which, you know, he's yeah. this close from getting canceled just for that because <laughs> he shouldn't have touched a black skin anyway. But we're mm-hmm. going to let that we're going to let that push aside for a second. But the thing is, it's like I don't see him as someone who gets sort of a thrill out of killing people. I think it's just more of the rage and the sense of justice and revenge that he has on the world and what it's turned into. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm not saying I'm not comparing him to God, but he, his name is being used in vain. You know, it's treated as a game and like, you can't fuck with this shit. Like mm-hmm. you're remembering me and thank you for keeping him alive with these, with this fear and memory, but you're also mocking me. And I just feel that he is just doing that instead of just going, okay, I'll just kill this baby too. I mean, if it makes the story bigger to keep him alive, maybe so, but I just don't like, do you see somebody who was tortured and killed the way that he was to turn into a child killer? No. And I mean, we see in the rest of the film, he doesn't kill the baby. Although he almost does at the end. Like, you know, (laughs) if, if she hadn't escaped the bonfire, the baby would have died. I, I would also say that the jump scares were very, like, placed very well in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't see this movie as a jump scare type of horror film, but the ones that are in there, they are placed really well. Yeah, And I think the sound effects that comes with it, I know sometimes it could be a little bit cliche and sort of a cop out on creating terror, but I think some of the jump scares that they did put in there were really good. One in particular is one of the first ones that we get with um, Trevor, how he just comes jumping into bed over her while she's sleeping in bed. And like, fuck you, bastard. But like, that was an effective (laughs) jump scare because she was all alone. It was dark. You know, we just heard about this dude. We don't even know what he looks like yet. And all we see is this black figure come and and just like scare like that was really good, yeah. And um, a lot of the the touring of Cabrini Green was also pretty terrifying too. Just her navigating through like the bathroom mirror and just leading into that mm. sort of like lair was like real effective. And it's funny that a lot of people sort of like know what he looks like. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like you would think people have learned, like, lived to tell the tale, but they got a really good depiction of exactly what he looks like on the wall, which I also found very interesting. Did we care about Helen throughout the movie, or was she just, you know, somebody like, okay, we're just gonna wait for her to get through it because she doesn't know any better? Like, do we see her as a heroine? And, you know, at least up until the point of the end when she saves the baby. But, like, do mm-hmm. we see her as somebody that we are rooting for? Uh, it's so funny. I think when I first watched it, yes, I definitely was rooting for her. But, like, the more I learn, the more I see how clueless she was and how presumptuous she was. You know, she just she felt like she was untouchable. And that's usually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was 
dipping into things that she didn't know anything about. She didn't understand it. Just like when she interviewed the two ladies from the maintenance staff, you know, and they're, they're telling her about Candyman and Cabrini Green. And then the one stopped and she was like, yeah, but I don't know anything about that. Cause it's like, I'm not going to tell you some shit that you won't understand anyway. You can't yeah. possibly. And then she goes to Cabrini Green. She proceeds to do all this research, but she still doesn't get it until it's too late. So. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And there's also a sense of sort of protecting your own by mm-hmm. not one spreading too much gossip and also being a potential snitch to mm-hmm. that area because while it looks pretty dangerous, all of them are there protecting each other. And mm-hmm. while they are all in fear of this unknown urban legend, this myth, this man, they are there for one another. I think that that's the kind of thing that I got to feel for. And then like we even get to Anne Marie. So this is, Uh, Vanessa Williams Mm -hmm. with her and her baby, Anthony. Vanessa Williams, I thought, did a wonderful job Mm -hmm. playing sort of this B-plot in here. And this is where everything sort of like takes a turn. Is that this white woman, Helen, is found with a cleaver in her hand over this woman's body. A baby missing, a dog's head completely cut. I mean, let me just say that this movie is really, really bloody. Like, Mm -hmm. so bloody. And I don't know why my brother thought it was good for for me to watch (laughs) this movie when I was younger, but he thought I could handle it. But that, I mean, that scene alone, what do you think about, like, how that scene, like, played out? Do you think there was any other way that it could have played out? Do you think, just, just waking up not knowing where you are and just witnessing all of that, she actually got a cut in her too oh yeah so it's like did you expect it to happen any other way i mean i i feel it i'm not to say there wasn't any choice but like what do you do in that situation she was screwed but that was and that was the price to pay Mm -hmm. for for doubting and and it was interesting how the story unfolds because you know in every other story probably at least from the one in the beginning, the urban legend goes that you call his name five times, he appears and kills you, and that's it. It's a wrap. But with this one, he doesn't do that. He really punishes her. You know, he makes her look responsible. And I don't, and I mean, it's like as we pr- progress into the story, we find out that, you know, there's this bigger link between the two of them, but. Yeah, he he could have just killed her, but he doesn't. He kills everyone around her instead. And I don't know why. Why do you think he does that? Why do you think he he goes to such great lengths to to torture her so much? So this is what I really appreciate about this movie today, watching it as an adult, because in order for them to live together forever, mm. she also has to become an urban legend. And in order to do uh... that, you have to create the biggest, whitest story possible for everyone to witness how she literally went from this renowned grad grad student to a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And that's why everybody had to die around her. There's a scene towards the end when the only person that she has left is her her husband, right? Mm -hmm. Bernie's gone. Her best friend's gone. Her biggest supporter gone, right? Everybody else thinks she's crazy. All she has is her husband. She finds out that he believes that, you know, she's a killer too. So he moves on. 
Mm-hmm. And once that whole scene plays out, which was genius, love that scene so much. She is so funny and fierce the way she just plays into her sanity like the questioning her sanity, she plays into it and just scares the shit out of both of them but it was after that where she's out all alone in the city the music's playing and i love it because the city is also just empty there's like not one car not one person walking around it's completely isolated it just gives off this this sort of like metaphoric like visual environment that you are alone. You have nothing left. You have nothing left to lose. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you have is to come save this baby. You are mine now. And he says that in the narration, like there's no one left for you. You have no choice, but to come to me and surrender to what I've asked you for this long time. So her calling Candyman while she, you know, was in the psych work. I, I don't like that's on her. Especially because she knows he's real. So it's just like, what did you expect to happen for him to wave and be like, see, I'm real. You can let her go. Like (laughs) you brought that on yourself. But I think it was because nobody is going to remember her with just one or two deaths. It's got to be broad. And I'm, I'm assuming this is how the urban legend was going to work or be created or play out because he kept mentioning like your story will be told by a thousand, you know, whatever. And, that that's that's how I see it. That is very astute, <laughs> as they say. No, that's that's really uh, that's that's great. You were on the money. I think you nailed it. <laughs> but didn't you love though how this woman was found in this in Anne Marie's apartment, cleaver in hand? They didn't shoot her. They, sure they just didn't. arrested her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emery almost got a lick in, but they stopped her real quick. But yeah, mm-hmm. this woman did not get shot once. I was like, Ugh. and it's funny too because earlier she gets attacked yeah. by that gang leader, and then all the cops start swarming the place, right? Because she was attacked there. But mm-hmm. has anybody had that same support while you know being in that area? Which was yeah. another like underlining message that was in this movie. Yeah, that they they can't ask for help. And even then, like mentioning the the gang leader who was kind of running around masquerading as a sort of candyman figure, kind of like keeping the neighborhood in check, kind of keeping everyone under his thumb. That's another reason why they're like, Yeah, I'm not gonna talk about this because who's gonna come and help? Nobody. He he controls things and that's just how it is. I wanted to talk to you also about sort of the social commentary of it all. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that it was blatantly clear that this was considered quote unquote a woke film back in 1992? Or do you think somebody had to really kind of sit back and analyze what they saw to see sort of this story within a story about, um, the urban jungle or the black community of, mm-hmm. of it all. Like, do, do you feel that it was like clear or, or does somebody have to like, think about it? I think most people would have to think about it. Uh, you know, this was, I, I think, and even now it's like, we, we look back on it, certain aspects, maybe people would think, Oh, that's not as woke as it could be. Um, a lot of people I think will cite the black man who's this, evil entity and he's chasing after the blonde white woman 
so that's that hasn't aged well. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, that's not a great thing, you know. They've been trying to like move away from that since like the 1920s. But as far as everything else, like with the cinematography using the city as a landscape and then bringing this clueless white woman into a neighborhood that is predominantly black and trying to like <laughs> make a name for herself off of their stories. Um, I think most people would receive the message, but I don't know if they would have thought about like, Oh, it's woke. You know, this is a woke film, especially back in 92. That was not, maybe not a widespread idea yet. So no, that yeah. that's, that's understandable. And, you know, even watching the remake in, in comparison, the 1992 version isn't as clear as many would think, especially now because people are looking for it as they go in. You know, mm -hmm. it's just one of those things, especially if it's advertised to be one. Clearly, they're going to go in and look for those hints and those clues. But back then, to some people, it might be hard to spot. I think that a big part of the social commentary comes in with the backstory of how Candyman became an urban legend in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, just hearing that story at the dinner table with all those professors there. And he's, you know, saying I'm I'm an expert in urban legends and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And he's sitting there telling the story about how he became a story to begin with. And listening to that story was super tragic. And mm -hmm. Clive Barker didn't hold back on the torture. I mean, this I mean, you think it's bad enough and enough for you to just hear the fact that somebody was killed. But no, let's break down exactly how they did it. Mm -hmm. And that this punishment sort of fit the crime, which was he fell in love with somebody he wasn't supposed to. Just hearing the fact that just because he fell in love with a woman that he wasn't supposed to, mm -hmm. and to be brutally murdered the way that he does, I mean, clearly that that's something to take away from this. And not to say mm -hmm. that it easily translated in today, but just think like he wouldn't be here if it wasn't such a heavy tragic story you know yeah. so i found that to be very tragic did i really understand what was going on when i was like 12 13 years old probably not but as you get older and watch a movie like this it sort of hits differently especially in today's climate uh do you think the movie has aged well i think it has definitely aged well you know it didn't have as many sequels as other slasher films have had um, and I can't even say that the two sequels that came out were amazing, but it, it doesn't have this long, long list of sequels where everyone's just like, oh, my God, like so much Candyman. I can't can't even deal with it anymore. I don't even remember how great the first movie was anymore because I've watched 10 other movies. But I, I think it still holds up really well. Um, despite maybe, yes, there's some some things that are not great anymore, but the story, the acting, the music, I, I think that everything is still really great. And I think that because of society and because of all the terrible, terrible things that keep happening in the real world, the movie has sort of had a been given a new life. And I mean, that sort of like connects more to the the reboot the the 
I never know what to call it. It's the reboot sequel. Yes. But I, that, yeah. Yeah. Reboot yeah, sequel that, is what I would call it. Because that movie was so great. The first original Candyman was so amazing. And that's why the new one came about. And they made it their own to be very modern. But then you think about the original story. And it's like, it's, it's the same story. Maybe yeah. people didn't connect it to that back then. But it's like the story of... Um, Daniel Robitaille and maybe that's even how it's it got so twisted because people aren't evoking the actual man who was murdered they're evoking Candyman yeah you know and that's why he appears and kills you because it's like you disrespect me so much you know you don't honor my memory at all you doubt my existence and here I am this is what you wanted so this is what you're going to get. <laughs> exactly. Before we move on, because I do want to briefly talk about the remake and how it either helped enhance or maybe dismantled any part of the legacy. Tony Todd, man, I, you know, I watched this recently, you know, to review the movie. And I got to say, like, that parking lot scene where we fully <laughs> get a full fledged of like who he is, the suit, yeah. the coat, the hook. Just the way that he's very hypnotizing when he approaches Helen, his voice, everything about him is just scary. I mean, it just like, how can you not make this man a horror icon after something like this? It was just so it was I don't want to say it was easy. It was just so like, this is it. This is exactly what fear is. And this awoke something in me as far as like understanding what I fear in a lot of scary movies is that out of all the subgenres, the ghost spirit apparition sort of category is where I get terrified the most because Candyman was able to just appear, teleport, do whatever, and mm -hmm. just be wherever you're at. There's nowhere to hide, right? No matter where you go, no matter what you do, he's there. He can easily just get there. Like him popping out of the mirror with his hand and just swinging it about. Like all mm -hmm. of that really got to me because I cannot imagine having to just run for your life and blah, blah, blah. And then bam, he just appears right in front of you. I just like all of that. I just think is so terrifying. But just in this movie, it was done so well. Now we are in 2021. And we get a remake, Nia DaCosta. A lot of people assume that Jordan Peele wrote and directed this. He did not. He he definitely helped, but this yeah. is directed by Nia DaCosta. Mm -hmm. Written and, and directed. Exactly. Yes. I got to say that to me, I feel that she enhanced the story mm -hmm. and she did not dismantle the original. A lot of people don't like reboot sequels or any type of any shape of the form because it will take away from what the original gave. I think it, it enhanced it. And one of the biggest things that I enjoyed about it was like even in the opening, just right in the opening, you know how in the original you get the camera and the landscape of Chicago and the camera's just aerial view mm -hmm. of the entire city. And this one, it is the exact same thing except opposite. It's the mirror image. It's below. Yeah. The city's below. Like she clearly paid attention and made sure that this is a continuation, a connection, and not something to overlap it. And just that little bit of detail in the opening, I was like, I am so in for a treat. Mm -hmm. And 
then on top of that, I was like, are they going to use the original Candyman? Is this the same person? And as you learn this story, man, does it like pack a punch. Like I, I love how she was able to make it so modern and continue from back then. And the way that I think she told her story, Tony Todd's Candyman is not even the first one. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there was somebody before him. So he's a part of a legacy, a, a legend that continues to go on. Why? Because racism is still going on. <laughs> the brutality of people of color is still going on. And until we learn from history, these urban legends are going to continue to be created and mm-hmm. haunt us. And can, I, I just, I, man, that the, the remake was, was done really well, but do you feel that the remake was a little too on the nose? Was it, enough did it suffocate suffocate you with it or do you think it was the right amount did we miss out on any of the horror element that the first one got what was your take on the second well i would say and i remember leaving yeah i'd never felt scared really i wasn't terrified yeah Yeah. um but i told people i was like look this movie is still violent it's graphic there's blood it's not some sort of like watered down version i mean it was still i I was still like oh god when things happened um, especially that first kill it was it was a lot of blood but i I don't think i was scared necessarily um like i was in the first on the nose eh. yes i think once we definitely arrive at the conclusion yes it is somewhat on the nose but it's not because that's exactly what the original movie was saying with Tony Todd's version of Candyman and what he experienced. And now it's just, this movie's a reminder. It's still happening. It hasn't stopped happening. And now we just have all of these modern stories that have kind of gotten twisted here and there. Like when you, when you talk about people who have been killed from police brutality or like Ahmad Arbery, who was just out jogging, not just minding his business. You know, sometimes the stories get twisted or people will ask questions like, well, what were they doing? Well, why did the police shoot them? Well, they must've done something to get pulled over. (laughs) It's like, well, yes, somebody didn't use a turn signal. Sure. They got pulled over. Did they deserve to die? No, no. But that's like people will, will sort of change things around. Even like when you see in the media with news stories, they want to give the victim a certain portrayal. So they'll use certain pictures of them to make them look harder, tougher. You know, this is a hardened criminal, basically. That's what they want people to think when they see these news stories, not a picture of them in their cap and gown when they just graduated from college, high school, whatever the case may be. That's sort of that's also the importance of like, say his name, say her name. And that's that was such a clever like advertisement, you know? Yes. Like <laughs> the trailer, the 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 posters, because it's like it's creepy. It's like, yeah, say his say his name when it's like you're saying Candyman. But thinking about like saying their names, it's like, say the right name. Remember this person and how they've been taken out of the world in a horrible way 
and stop saying the names of the people that, you know, did take them out of the world. Stop saying the incorrect story. Stop putting the blame on them, just like they put the blame on uh, Daniel Robitaille. You know, it's like it was it was his fault that he fell in love with this woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. And it it's also pretty crazy that we are also watching a horror movie that doesn't necessarily have a beginning, middle and end. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're given a horror icon that I don't know should be stopped. And if it's even that type of movie that needs a protagonist and antagonist to to collide and one comes out swinging, right? Mm-hmm. This is a horror movie that you don't see often enough. And do you find these type of movies effective? Like, do we need this horror to stop? Do we need for the good to prevail? And even in this movie and in the original, what was the good? What what? What yeah. needed to be done for us to walk out and say justice was served? You know, horror was defeated. Evil was defeated. You know, it's not that type of movie, you know? So it's yeah. it's kind of hard to say, like, did this horror movie fall into that genre or is it a psychological thriller with some supernatural twist to it? Like, mm. it's just funny how this movie's played out is that, yeah, I walked out and I wasn't that scared Trust me, when I heard they were making this movie, I was like, I want to be traumatized. I, I need <laughs> therapy after this. I want to feel what I felt when I was 13 years old watching the original. I did not get that. And yeah, I was a little disappointed. But at the same time, was I entertained? Hell yes. Yeah. And it's not because of the color of my skin and the fact that I can relate to this story. It's the fact that I appreciate that this horror genre, this movie gave such a huge message that most people overlook in the horror genre. They feel that these, that this genre cannot tell these type of stories and have it done well, you know? And Nate is a white person. I'm just letting everybody know in case nobody knew that Nate, I want to ask you, do you think that this is attack on your ethnicity? Is this an attack on only white cops and not all cops? Like, do you feel attacked watching this movie? No, but I'm also Mexican, so I'm a little confusing. But either way, no, I don't. Um, I personally do not feel attacked um, and no one else should either. That's that's sort of the, the knee jerk reaction of all lives matter and all that bullshit. I was like, well, what are, why are you saying that? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, humanity should matter. Um, but then we we don't we don't give all life the same value um and historically white people uh people who look like me some of my ancestors i'm sure they have not valued life and that is why we have arrived at this moment in history where you know this this film, like people, if people go to see it, if white people go to see this movie, they shouldn't be offended. They should be thinking, hopefully that. And I think that's usually the goal with any story. I think, you know, you stop and you think you reflect on your emotions. Maybe you will be angry and uncomfortable and feel like, oh, this movie's saying that white people are bad. Well, reflect on that. Why? Do you feel that way? If that is part of the story that oh, white people are bad, 
Why do you think that's part of the story? Why is the writer director making you feel that way? And I don't think that's what Nia DaCosta is saying at all. <laughs> and no, it's not to single out white police officers. It's singling out the entire criminal justice system. It's singling out America, our country. You know, a couple of days ago, um, one of my friends, she works in Hollywood, and she said that she noticed some people like, there was a big crowd and she's like, oh, what's going on at Starbucks? That's what she thought at first. But then she noticed a bunch of American flags. She was like, oh, God, they're protesting. <laughs> so now when you see American flags, it used to be like this, oh, patriotic like thing where it's like, yeah, I'm American. But now it's like, oh, God, you see people and they're like anti-maskers and they're like, no, white lives matter. All lives matter. It's like, well, what? When did that happen? And but the thing is that most people of color have probably felt like that for a very long time. Like, eh, they didn't have a lot of pride in the American flag or the country because the country doesn't care about them. I think something that people need to sit with sometimes is discomfort. It sucks. It sucks to be uncomfortable, but I think it's important for people to sit with discomfort, particularly in these kinds of conversations about racism, white supremacy. And yes, it's like, it's a big part of the horror genre right now, but it's important to sit with the discomfort and ask yourself questions. I think for me personally, I've, I've unpacked most of my feelings surrounding my identity as a white man. I don't usually walk away feeling like, oh my gosh, why did they say that about me? It's like, it's not about me. <laughs> so white people, it's, it's not about you either. And if you think it's about you, then you need to really look inward and figure out why you feel that way. Because it's, it's not about you really. It's not. It's about the entire system that we are all under. Um, it's called white supremacy because white people benefit from it <laughs> but it doesn't mean you have to <laughs> and if you know it then you can work better to resist and dismantle but you know if you're just complaining the whole time like oh candy man it's a black horror film it's not for me it's like no it's a it's a great story and you'll miss out and especially this modern remake it's like you'll you'll just stay clueless and you'll just continue contributing to the bullshit. Exactly. And, and, you know, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think that was wonderfully said. So I appreciate that. The, the other thing is, is that I think you will be missing out on a great story and, and a wonderful played out, not played out, sorry, a wonderful, um, well-played horror film that is different than the rest. It's different from the cliche. It's different from the, you know, mm -hmm. the repetitive of, of a lot of horror films that we see today, you know, a lot of people talk about not being able to see original stories being played on the screen anymore. I think that if you're oversaturated with seeing the same thing, then go back to the past and watch mm -hmm. films that were not in your time, just because yeah. they may seem dated. You will not believe how much originality was back in the eighties, the seventies. And you know, it's insane 
how well the horror genre was back in the day. And you're going to get a lot of great original stories, including Candyman, which is why it is still my favorite horror movie of all time, because it is really hard to replicate this. It really yeah. is. You can you can talk about the message and the storytelling, the social commentary, and a lot of different other films, but you can't repeat what this movie is. You can't repeat Candyman, the character. You can't repeat how hypnotic and crazy it is. The ambiguous of is he an evil presence or just somebody who is just brought up by you know by by you know everyone else it's so it's so crazy how complex this movie is especially in the horror genre you're not going to get anything like this in my opinion so for yeah. me i recommend this a whole lot but i wanted to ask you finally do you feel that uh if you were to recommend this movie do you feel that this that the original um is something that people should watch before watching the remake sequel or the reboot sequel. Do you think that these movies stand alone and are as satisfying by themselves or should they be watched as a group? How does Candyman 1992 fit into today? Well, I kind of feel like if you're going to watch the new one that just came out this year, 2021, you probably should watch the first one because it'll add another layer of appreciation. A lot yes. of the people from the original movie came back. Yes. Um, and it was in, in small ways, but still, you know, seeing Vanessa Williams on screen, like being that character again, being Anne-Marie again, it was just such a treat. And It was such a treat. Even the fact that she still had her scar on yes, her arm. the details. That was amazing. I was looking forward to it. I was like, she got hit hard with that cleaver. It better still mm -hmm. be there. Yes. Still broken. Still broken from what happened back in the mm -hmm. day. Like, And just, I mean, it adds that, that like, where she's like, don't say that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, we all saw the trailer and it's like, we all like got a little giggle out of it, but it's like, it's something, you know, like to fear, but um, I mean, Virginia Madsen came back. It's like, it's just her voice, but she still came back, you know? So I think that speaks to the credit of the film. But so if you're going to watch the new one, yeah, I think you, you kind of should watch the first one. Um, I, I think the first one stands alone just fine. I think that the second one stands alone just fine too. Um, Cause even though they are connected in a lot of ways, they they are sort of singular films um like nia DaCosta, she she made her own movie yes i yeah i i i do believe that these are standalone films what i've noticed is that some people will watch the 2021 version and be like oh my god it's you know it's another woke movie why couldn't they just make and a you know like the first one and i'm just like a lot of people don't know that the first Candyman was also woke. Yeah. And they and they and they just don't realize and I think most of that comes from the fact that they probably didn't even watch the first one. So here's the thing. I think you will be very entertained and maybe a bit confused watching 2021 by itself. Mhm. Mm but if you watch them together, it will hit differently. It's not yeah. a guarantee. But if this is something that excites you and it sounds interesting and you're actually open-minded to the story that is being told, watching them together will hit differently. 
it, it it just will. And I recommend watching both of them together rather than standalone. But if you watch it alone and you still have questions, hopefully it sparks that motivation and interest to go back and watch the original. Because even watching them out of order will not be a disservice to you. It's just so you have an understanding of what it mm. is that you just watched and hopefully have more of that appreciation. Now, that's not to say that if you don't like this movie, power to you. Remember what I said, be proud of your taste in film. <laughs> if this is not for you, it is not for you. We are not here to convince you that you are wrong. It's just not a movie for you. But here's what you need to do. Let those that have allowed it to sink in and really take root in their brain about how brilliant it is, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Let them be. And if you don't like it, then that is for you. And that's totally fine because Nia DaCosta still got that check and it cashed <laughs> and she will be all right. She will be just fine when okay. she does her own MCU movie. I'm, I'm not even worried about her. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So that is my take. I recommend this. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And I would love to hear from anyone who's listening to this episode, what they think of the original Candyman, And if they did see the 2021 reboot sequel, how it um, made you feel watching it after watching the first one. It'd be really nice to hear from all of you. Otherwise, Nate, I want to thank you for helping me review this movie today. It was about time. I mean, again, (laughs) one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. It took me forever to review this, but I feel this was a great time to bring it up again. And um, yeah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I could help review your favorite scary movie of all time definitely definitely okay so this was episode 99 Candyman 1992 remember there are no such thing as a guilty pleasure film fuck those (laughs) haters and be proud of your taste in movies this is Movie Geek and Proud 